It's so good to be here. I just feel your joy when I'm here. And, and I know it's not joy that is born of circumstances, because we go through a lot of circumstances that militate against our joy, right? But our joy is in the hope that we have. Our joy is in Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection. And I know that we, we love different resurrection accounts. And on the second Sunday of Easter, you know, Easter tide is 50 days from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday that we're supposed to really rejoice in this resurrection. I, I want to look at my favorite resurrection account. Okay, we, we like the morning ones, you know, the morning of the first day of the week. Uh, of the morning ones, my favorite one is the account that says when the women came and the messenger said, why do you look for the living among the dead? How would you answer that question? Why do you look for living among the dead? Well, I, I hadn't thought he was living, to be quite frank. You know, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but how do you say that? But my favorite one is what happened that evening. The resurrection on, uh, was at least revealed on, uh, on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, and there was all this chaos and confusion when the women went and they saw things or didn't see things. And, and, and we go to that evening and, and Luke gives us this account of two of the followers of Christ who are leaving Jerusalem and walking down a road to a little village called Emmaus, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. We know very little, just hints about who these two followers of Jesus were. One was named Cleopas, and, uh, and the other one, we don't know if it was his spouse, his wife, or if it was an, another male disciple, we don't know. He may have been, Cleopas and Cleopas are, are real close names, at the foot of the cross, one of the gospel writers says that Mary, the wife of Cleopas, was there. So it may have been actually Cleopas and his wife, who was actually at the foot of the cross. But we don't know that for sure, but we do know that these two followers of Jesus were intimately involved with Jesus. They were people who knew Him, and they were devastated. And they're walking this seven-mile path toward Emmaus, this village. And as they're walking, Luke says that Jesus came and kind of joined along in the walk with them, but they didn't recognize Him. Which is kind of fascinating because we've speculated over time, why didn't they recognize him? You know, some have said, well, maybe, maybe the sun was kind of low and, and, um, you know, it was kind of hard to see. And, of course, in that culture, when it would get kind of cool in the evening, you'd take part of your robe and throw it up over your head like a hood. And so maybe if he was walking beside them, they couldn't even see his face. Um, you know, we don't know exactly why. Maybe they never even looked up. He just came in and kind of joined them on the side. But we kind of know the real reason why they didn't recognize him. Because he was the last person on earth they expected to see, right? I mean, anybody else joining them on the journey would have been less of a surprise. If Pontius Pilate would have walked up, it would have been less of a surprise, and they didn't expect him either. So, Jesus joins them as they're walking along, and... And Jesus kind of plays with them a little bit in terms of entering into their conversation. He says, what are you, what are you talking about? And they said, are you like the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's going on? And he said, what? Jesus of Nazareth, he was mighty. He was a prophet. And, and through all that he'd done in his life, we've seen... 
we were convinced he was the one. We were convinced that he was the Christ, the Messiah, that we had been told our entire lives would one day come to redeem us. We, we, we were convinced of that. But our leaders, our chief priests, and, and our elders turned him over to the Romans and they crucified him. And then, this morning, some of our women went to the tomb and, and they said he wasn't there. And, and one of the other disciples are talking about Peter. He said he wasn't there. And, and basically, they're saying, we're a mess. We, we don't know what to think. And they were so traumatized. I mean, if they were the ones who actually stood at the foot of the cross, they were so traumatized. If you or I would see a crucifixion of anyone, we'd have a form of PTSD, PST, I always get that mixed up. We would be so traumatized. And yet they saw the person they loved more than anything. Their mentor, their leader, their hope. They were a mess. And so Jesus says, in essence, you don't get it, do you? And Luke says that he began to open the Scriptures to them. Uh, the scriptures are in the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. It says, beginning with Moses and going to the prophets, he began to open the Scriptures to them to explain to them who the Christ was. Imagine that. Imagine that just for a moment. I, I wonder if he mentioned Zechariah's prophecy where Zechariah said, Look, Jerusalem, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you riding on a donkey. The foal of a, a baby donkey. I wonder if he said that and they went, hmm. I wonder if he quoted the 22nd Psalm. The Psalm he quoted on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I wonder if he quoted the rest of it. Where he said, my bones are exposed. My, my mouth is dry. They've gathered around me like a band of dogs. They're gambling for my clothes. And I wonder if they made the connection of what they'd just seen. I wonder if he quoted the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Surely, we saw him and thought he was smitten, stricken by God. But he was bruised for our transgressions. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we were healed. I just imagine that as they're walking down this road, they kept having these little aha moments like, Oh, uh, we've read that our entire... And I wonder if they thought about the fact that on His way to Jerusalem, Jesus actually said to His disciples repeatedly, not once, but repeatedly, He looked at His disciples in the eyes and said, We're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to sinful men. They will mock Him. They will flog Him. They will crucify Him. And on the third day, He'll rise again. But they couldn't hear it. You know, He'd say that to them and... Just went right past them. They couldn't hear that. I wonder if he said, by the way, and as they're taking this all in, they are going to a level of understanding that they never knew was possible. They are seeing that what God had been up to, the whole history of God's interaction with man, was being fulfilled in front of their eyes. They would later say to each other, didn't our hearts burn with this when He opened the Scripture to us? 
then our hearts burn within us when we, when we began to understand what God was up to. Oh man, I, years ago, uh, read, uh, author who said we ought to be people of the burning heart. The people who know Christ, but want to know Him. The, the, the people who, who, who know Him, but want to understand even more. Like Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the, and the fellowship of His suffering. They said later on, didn't our hearts just burn within us when He opened the Scriptures to us? Man, I, I've paid a lot of money in tuitions over the years, but I'd rather go to Emmaus Road Theological Seminary than anywhere else as he explained the way. Well, they get to Emmaus, they get to the, they get to the, the village they were going to. And Jesus acts like he's going to keep going. And they go, no, 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 please, please, please stay and eat with us. And so he comes in to eat with them. And as they sit down for the meal, something remarkable happened. He, he broke the bread. And Luke tells us that when he broke the bread, their eyes were opened and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. Why did they recognize him? Maybe they'd seen him break it a whole lot of other times, you know? Maybe they were there when the 5,000 were fed and he broke the bread. Maybe they were there when he fed the 4,000 and he broke the bread. Maybe it was the way he always thanked the Father before he broke the bread. We, we don't know why they exactly recognized him. But I wonder this. I wonder if they had heard about that night in the upper room when he broke bread with his disciples. So he had that flat bread, you know, the unleavened bread, the, uh, the matzah. And, and part of the tradition was that they would put that bread into a, a, a linen sleeve and they would cover it up and they would say the prayers and then they would open it up and then they would eat the bread. But, but Jesus did something different. He took the bread, he put it in that linen sleeve and closed it up and he took that bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he shattered that bread and opened it up and gave little shards of bread to all of them and said, take and eat this body of mine. I wonder if when he went to break the bread, we don't know, but I just wonder instead of breaking it, if he put it in his hand and crushed it. And they saw who he was. And then, Luke says, he was gone. There's something that Luke wants us to get beyond what actually happened in that room. Luke says he was recognized in the breaking of the bread. We know what the breaking of the bread means, don't we? It is the breaking of the body of Jesus Christ. It is God who came in the flesh and said, I will not break you, I will be broken for you. I will not kill you, I will die for you. And that's where they recognized Him in brokenness. I, uh, I love in, in some church traditions where before we take the bread and the cup, there's a moment of just silence. And in the room... You can hear the pastor take the bread. You can hear that snap, that little snap. I am, um, most of the time when I'm serving communion nowadays, it's in people's homes, it's in nursing facilities, it's people in hospital beds. 
And, and most of the people I'm serving communion to are so ill, they, they can't take a big piece of bread, and I'm usually taking the bread and breaking it even more, and giving them a very, very small piece that they can put on their tongue, and a very, very small amount, because they can't really ingest much food. They're just days, usually, from death, under hospice care. But when I do this, I, when I keep breaking, I, I hear that little snap, and that little snap has become a beautiful, beautiful sound to me. I'm serving broken people. Their bodies are broken, and sometimes their their minds are broken, and many times their hearts are broken, and their spirits are broken, and their relationships are broken. They're very, very broken people. And and, and I get to take this, this small piece of bread, and I get to snap that and break that, and I get to take this brokenness, and I get to say to them, Peace be with you. See, what we have to do as a church is not only understand who Messiah is, we have to see Him in His brokenness. You know, this week you can see Jesus in the flesh if you want to. No, I'm not saying you can see an idea. You can see Him in the flesh this week if you want to. You know how you do that? You go find someone who's broken. Because that's what Jesus said is where He dwells. In the sick and the hungry, the imprisoned, the hospitalized. The ones who are despised, the ones who are oppressed. He said, when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. When you look them in the face, you're supposed to see me in the face. And if you want to see Christ, you look for the broken one. And you go there. And there you find Christ. But you know how we are supposed to go to the broken ones? We're supposed to go as broken ones. This is the beautiful thing about the body of Christ, the church. We gather and we, we, we read these amazing, rich scriptures and, and we take the sacrament together and, and we begin to understand, like those two disciples in the road, our hearts burn within us as we understand it. Then we get to go out and we get to see Him in brokenness. We take our brokenness to a broken world. Because that's what Jesus did. You, you know... We Christians, we're not the ones who say, hey, we're going to heal y'all. We're going to take care of y'all. We're going to fix you all, okay? No, we come and say, we're so broken that we want to enter your brokenness. Because that's how Jesus did it. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, I'm going to fix you all. He came and said, I will be broken with you. And the picture of our God is the picture of a crucified God. I want us to get that because sometimes we, we separate, you know, there's God and there's Jesus. And of course we believe in the Trinity, but we also believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. We believe that if you want to see God, look at Jesus. And what's the most stark picture of Jesus we have? With His arms spread, nails through His hands and feet, the crucified Christ. And the great theologian Jurgen Moltmann said, the crucified God. You and I serve a God who's broken for us and enters into our brokenness and says, now take your brokenness into a broken world. And what does God do with brokenness? Oh, this little thing we call resurrection. Kind of significant here, isn't it? You know, resurrection doesn't come without death. Healing doesn't come before brokenness. But it's how our God works. Resurrection. I've been walking through the valley of the shadow of death in recent days as I've lost 
a good friend and a family member and one of the people I've been ministering to. Last three days, three funerals. Been walking through that. And you know what keeps coming to my mind? We don't celebrate the resuscitation of Jesus Christ. We don't celebrate the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection. He breaks the bread. They see it. They go, oh, we, we began to understand, but now we see. And then he's gone. And they don't see where he is. I mean, you know, isn't that just the way it works sometimes? Oh, now I know who you are. i got a lot of questions. I was going to ask you about where to go. Okay, okay. So, what are you going to do? They run back to... I always think, boy, they had a busy day, okay? They walked seven miles... You know, why couldn't Jesus have done this in a mile? But he, he, you know, they walked seven miles and they ran back seven miles and they found the disciples. And, and they get into the room where the disciples are and they're saying, you know how you can't talk when you've just run, you know. People always say run with a friend. I never run with a friend because when I'm running, I'm not thinking about talking. I'm thinking about surviving, okay? I just want to breathe. That's what, like, oh, true. It's true. What Simon said is true. What, what, it's true. We, we, we saw him. And, and they're trying to explain it to them. And Luke tells us, as they're talking, guess who shows up? And he wasn't even winded, I don't think. You know, Jesus is there. This whole thing, we can't even imagine the emotional roller coaster they've been on <laughs> over the last three days or so. And in all of their conflict and all of their wondering and all of their rejoicing and all of their mourning and all of their brokenness, you know what he said to them? Peace be with you. Well, John records it, he said it twice. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Guess what? You don't have to fear anything anymore. Resurrection. Guess what? You'll never be alone. Resurrection. As Richard Rohr says, and I think you're getting quoted around here sometimes, because Jeff and I talk about him a lot. He says, because of what Christ has done, this is a safe universe to live in. Why? Resurrection. I said goodbye to people I love this week, and I knew they were safe in this universe. And so am I. And so are you. Peace be with you. It'll be a long journey for us to totally understand as our hearts burn within us. But every day we get to look Him in the eye, the broken Christ, the one who was broken for us. And we are broken as well. And we take our brokenness into this world. And our brokenness heals. And our death resurrects because of Jesus Christ. Not because of what we pull off, but because of what He has done in Christ. Heavenly Father, we stand amazed at what You have done We can't fully comprehend it. We're still on that Emmaus road. And you're still opening up our, our ideas and we're, you're still opening up our understanding. We're still trying to figure out what it meant for God to be broken. We're still trying to figure out what it meant for resurrection. And we're still trying to figure out not only what that means for the life to come, but what resurrection means for life today. But Father, we thank You that as our hearts burn within us, as our understanding grows, we get to look at You. We get to see You. We get to see You in the broken people around us. We get to see You in our own brokenness. Oh, take us there, Lord. 
Whether someone is broken physically, emotionally, whether someone is broken relationally, whether someone is broken because they have been oppressed or someone is broken because of their own sin or, or, or whether someone is broken because they are an oppressor. We pray, Father, that You will help us take Your brokenness in our lives into their lives and make us agents of Your grace, broken healers, and those, as Your Scripture says, who have passed from death to life. We are grateful beyond words. And on the second Sunday of Easter, we say, He is risen, He is risen indeed. And because of that, peace is with us. Would you stand with me and let me give you a blessing? I love the great liturgical blessing of peace. May the peace of the Lord go with you wherever He may send you. May He guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May He bring you home rejoicing at the wonders He has shown you. May He bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Peace be with you. Go in peace. Amen.